As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told. So I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. This is The Athletic Hockey Show. All right, welcome back to another Wednesday edition of The Athletic Hockey Show. Um, I'm Jesse Granger here in Edmonton for the uh, first round series between Vegas and the Oilers. I'm filling in for Rob Pizzo, who's out today, and I'm joined by... As always, Mike Russo in Minnesota. How you doing, Mike? Yeah, very good. How are you? Nice to see doing my colleague good. Joe Smith again. We don't see enough yes. of each other, so yeah, yes. And you're all. so far away now, <laughs> right? And you're you're also in Minnesota, right, Joe? I am. I am. Yeah, just a different part. But yeah, we were we did a podcast yesterday, so we were yeah going back and forth with Bill Guerin. But yeah, it's a little further away. He's out in the suburbs, so it's a little different. Not quite the city. Joe gotcha, realized, gotcha. Uh, Jesse, Joe moved to Minnesota so he could have a long off season. And then he was like, why did I uproot my life when the lightning lost one day later? He could have just stayed in Tampa <laughs> and had the long off season anyway. But I would miss the mu- beautiful Minnesota summers, though. Yeah. So I would, I would have missed out on that. And the Minnesota winter that you got to go through. Absolutely. You know, uh, when you're in an apartment, you don't have to worry about shoveling and stuff. So bring on all the snow. Doesn't bother me right, at all. Right. Uh, but yeah. So uh, thanks for joining us again, Joe. Um, we're going to talk about some of these games. And 
I got to say, after a first round, we were very spoiled. Um, we, there was a lot of close games, a lot of overtime games, and the series are close if you look at the series scores, but the uh, the game scores have not been so close, right, Mike? Yeah, it's driving me crazy uh, because I I am one of those people uh, that that the second the wild end, I actually continue to watch hockey. You know, some, some writers go on on vacay. I'm watching every single game, and I don't. I honestly don't think I've missed a game, uh, and I just cannot believe how uncompetitive. Um, the games have been in this round. It's crazy. I mean, I'm looking at these scores right now in the Carolina Jersey series. Carolina wins 5 1, 6 1. Then Jersey wins 8 4, and Carolina wins 6 1. Kraken games, game one of the Dallas series obviously went to overtime. Then a 4 2 game. Dallas uh, eked that one out, but then 7 2, 6 3. And then, of course, your series there, Edmonton Vegas, 6 4, 5 1, 5 1. Uh, the Panthers Leafs have been competitive, but as you said, it's a 3 0 deficit. And I really don't understand why that is. I've always said that the first round in the NHL playoffs are, are always the most competitive. It's probably the, the, the closest that teams are around. Uh, they're all gung ho to play. They're coming ready to, to compete. And, uh, for some bizarre reason, this round has been anything but that. Uh, we've seen goalie pulls left and right. Um, and just every game lopsided, uh, every game one-sided. And, uh, I do think it's, it's, it's just not been a, a fun series, fun round at all. And, um, you know, it, I think it's putting a, a bit of a black eye on the, on the, uh, playoffs as a whole. I'm kind of bummed about it too. Cause like, I, I love watching double overtime, triple overtime game, especially when I'm not covering the game, when I'm not on deadline or worried about hitting the U desk at 2am or something like that. So I love the double, triple overtimes. And I, I don't know if it's maybe there's, maybe some emotional letdown after a first round where that's such a, the biggest hype and the, the most like for the Leafs, for example, they beat the, they slay the dragon, beat the lightning and finally get the second round. Um, and hard to get, maybe it's a different element there and see how Kraken went in a playoff series. And, um, I don't know. It's, it's just weird. Cause I think these teams are more evenly matched than, than what the scores have indicated. Um, and I don't know if it's a lot, it's, I mean, maybe Jay, Jesse can answer if it's a goaltending issue sometimes or, Maybe some backups are playing or whatnot, but uh, it definitely seemed like these teams are a little more even than the scores have shown. Yeah, I mean, well, when Vasilevsky, Hellebuck, Olmark, Shesterkin, Sorokin, every star goalie in the league all gets eliminated in the first round, um, you're going to get some 8-4 games in the second round, I guess. Uh, and and yeah. then the other fact that these coaches are, and, and we'll get to it, but these coaches are like jerking their best goalies around, um, not taking them out of games, <laughs> putting them back into games. Um, that probably isn't helping them either. Um, I think our one saving grace is, like I mentioned, while other than the Florida-Tampa series, I mean, sorry, other than the Florida-Toronto series, they are all pretty close in terms of the games won, even though the games themselves haven't been close. So maybe maybe we'll get some good game five, six, sevens out of these series. Maybe. We're, I'm, I'm holding out hope. Yeah. Um, we're going sure to so. each one of the, yeah, <laughs> we're going to get to each one of these series individually uh, here in a second. But I do want to mention um, we're going to have Craig Button on, a TSN scouting director, um, expert on just about everything you could possibly imagine with hockey. He's great. So we're going to have him on um, in the second segment. But for now, let's uh, let's start off with that Dallas Seattle game last night. Michael, you mentioned it wasn't close. These games have ping ponged back and forth. Um, in terms of who's blowing out who, but the actual games, I mean, it's, it's been a close series in terms of who's winning the games. Um, so what, what do you think so far um, in, the, in this series through uh, for Dallas and Seattle? Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I still think Dallas wins the series. I thought it was a great response yesterday. Uh, you, you know, I know that a lot of people in Seattle 
are complaining about the goalie interference call, which I actually thought oh. the refs got it right. I actually thought the refs got it right. Um, you know, and we could talk a little bit more in depth about that. Um, but I, 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 actually, I mean, if you want to talk about it now, because Jesse, I know this one, uh, this one's on you, know, like this one. There's, yeah, this, I, I felt uh, that on the initial bump that Grubauer sold it and pulled himself almost intentionally out of position. And then when he got back, he's pushed out of position, can't play his, 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 um, position in large part because Susie, uh, hits Ben. Um, I know that Ben a lot of times tries to make everything look accidental, you know, on purpose, accidental type thing. Um, but I actually felt like he's out of his crease. If it was the first one, maybe, but I thought that he sold it a bit. Um, but back to the original, I mean, Seattle just didn't have it last night. They made it interesting at the end, but you know, 10 shots through what 40 minutes or so, um, you know, Dallas put the, it wasn't even that they defended well. It felt like they had the puck all game long and were in the offensive zone. But uh, but clearly, you didn't agree with my assessment of the referees on that one. I'm having a hard time keeping my headphones in because the steam that's trying to come out of my ears. <laughs> oh my gosh! I am. I literally tweeted last night. Shut the NHL down if this isn't goal interference. Why are mm-hmm. we even playing this sport? Um, I mean, I guess if you want to just make it legal to tackle goalies so that you can score a goal, um, go for it. Because to me, that's basically what happened. I don't think that Grubauer sold it. I think he was pushed out of his crease. I think people misunderstand. Like, I think people sometimes people don't realize how easy it is to push someone two feet on ice. Yeah. Um, like he, like he, he was pushed out of the crease. And then I saw a lot of people defending it by saying, "Well, it's out of the crease. The contact." Well, the second. Yeah, the second one, not the first. After he had already pushed him out. So he pushes him out of the crease. And then people are like, well, he had time to reset. Okay, but he's three feet out of his crease. He's no longer on his angle. That's another thing. I think people don't realize how hard it is to stay on your angle. And some guy pushes you three feet out of your crease. It's not Mm -hmm. as simple as just, okay, I've got a half a second. Let me just get back on angle. No, he tried to get back on angle. He still wasn't in position. Then Ben hits him again. He he brushes past him again as the shot's coming. Like, and then they're like, "Well, it's out of the crease." Well, yeah, because that's where he pushed him. I I, <laughs> I don't understand. If that's not goalie interference, why are we even playing the sport? I, you yeah. know me, I'm always defending the goalies, and I'm always going to no, take no. Side. I, I, I <laughs> like your perspective. You've actually, yeah, I like your perspective. You play that position, so you would know much better than me. I just, I'm I just thought, what, it, what, yeah. But I mean, I, I this is just what I saw, like watching it live, um, and, and some of the replays. But but I could see your your um, your point of view. I will say that I've seen so many uh, uh, really questionable goalie interference plays, uh, usually on those type of plays when they're out of the crease in, and it's, it has been inconsistent in the past. Um, so just by virtue of him being out of the crease, based on some of the precedents that I've seen, not necessarily this past season in Minnesota, but last year. Um, and, and the year before that with just, I mean, some very bizarre overturns, um, I was completely, uh, convinced that they were going to allow that goal to count. And you were right. I'm going to go off the goalie script here, my (laughs) observations, but, uh, you know, the wild say that they have, you know, grit versus their mentality, but I watched Seattle and that is absolutely great for that's their relentless team when they're on it. Like they're just the only Gord's epitome of that. That team, we saw that in Game Three. Um, but what also struck me, and just even you appreciate a guy more when you see him every day, uh, Miro Heiskanen, um, especially in the Wild Series, and then what a difference a game makes when you have that guy back in your lineup, right? Um, and I kind of almost feel bad to have him on my Norris uh, 
trophy ballot looking back on it. Um, but he's just such a difference maker. We saw what he did with Kaprizov in the round one against the, the Wild and just having that stabilizing number one defenseman, uh, like Russo and I were talking, it's hard to find a, a cup team that hasn't had that legit number one guy in your back end. And, and I think he's the reason why, a good reason why that they might be able to pull the series out is because having a guy like that, as long as he's healthy, it can be um, at close to 100% or effective. Yeah, I agree. He was he was awesome. And man, like, like I look back on it too, and it's like, yeah, I didn't have him on my Norris ballot, and he's awesome. Yeah. Um, but also, like, I don't know who I would take off it. There's has there ever been a yeah. time where there's this many elite defensemen in the NHL? Like it, it is it, incredible competition to be on the Norris ballot at this point. Yeah, this year the Norris was tough. It was very tough, and I think I went. I had I had a tough time too, and I'm almost positive I did not put Heiskanen on the ballot, um, which I know will infuriate Dallas fans who are still mad that I didn't have him, have him uh, on my Calder ballot years ago. Um, he is an amazing defenseman. If we could have included the first round in our Norris thing and watching him up close and personal the way that I did, I probably would have. Um, for him to come back yesterday, I mean, I don't know. I can't wait actually after the playoffs to find out exactly what his injury was if if he broke his cheekbone or or what what the uh, injury was, but because I don't think that was just to cut that that was a kid that looked in dire straits on the ice that thing swelled up right away unbelievable gash and uh for him to wear the full face bubble yesterday and play as well as he did but that team is just deep i mean you know when you have guys like domi and marchman on your third line and fox on your fourth line um you know glenn denning one of the best face-off guys that we've seen in years um you know four years um on your fourth line um, they, they are really good. And then you have a couple of young defensemen that are playing really well for them. Uh, Suter continues to have a great playoffs as well. Um, they, and they got the goalie that, that absolutely responded yesterday. Wasn't tested a lot, but Hey, look, that, that could have rattled you the way that he, you know, it was his worst game of his national hockey league career in game three. And for him to respond the way they did, it was, you know, as, as Saad tweeted the other day, it's not a must win, but they must win. And, and now they go back home two two. Uh, get home ice again. Uh, I like the stars to win the series. Yeah, I agree. The, the stars look good, but I also like um, the Avalanche to win the first series. So, I mean, the Kraken have a yeah, way to. Yeah. yeah, I mean, they, you know, I mean, they just have a way to just take just to to just demoralize you. They do, they do. the The other series last night, uh, blowout. Obviously, the Hurricanes six one over the Devils. That to me, that game was absolutely insane because the first period, I thought the Devils looked. Awesome. I mean, they're whipping the puck around. They're flying through the neutral zone. They were up one nothing late in the first, and I thought they could have been up two or three to nothing. And then Carolina gets that late goal at the end of the period to go into the intermission one one, and it was all Hurricanes after that. Um, what do you think flipped, and and what do you see in this series, Michael? Well, I agree with you. I think Freddie made some unbelievable saves in the first period, and again another response from a pulled goalie, right? And and uh, um, and when Pesci turned that puck over in the first what minute or two of the game for the for the for the goal by Jack Hughes deflected off him, shot by Timo Meyer, um, I thought this is going to be wow. You, you know, suddenly you, you look back and you, I remember I tweeted the other day. Well, apparently the uh, Teravainen, Svechnikov, and Pacioretty, uh, uh you know, injuries weren't going to be the thing that would unravel, un, you know, un. Un- unravel the hurricanes and then you start to think well maybe it did um you know that that, co- that uh, new jersey was gonna be able to pull this out i'm just so impressed by this carolina team and their resiliency in the midst of these injuries it's it says everything about a guy that joe smith knows well and rod brindamore and what type of coach he is but you look at the depth that they have put together the guys they are putting in the lineup uh you know the jack drury's have played great and um you know even Pol- polly arvey i'm watching him the other day and he that that looked like an actual nhl player 
um, which I could tell you because I was there when they acquired him. I didn't get the impression that um, other than Don Waddell, there was a lot of people, other people around that were that were convinced that he was going to be a good NHL player or even needed by them. And um, and I, I just think that they are a, a real formidable cup champ, cup uh, contender right now. I think you're right. I think they personify the identity of their head coach and Brenda Moore. And they, and much more than any stars or individual talent, they play the team game as well as any team, I think, in the conference, especially. Um, we can make up for the loss of a star player when you play your system so well. They're relentless in the four check. They're just so, they just wear you down. Um, so I'm just been impressed with their depth up there. And I, I can't figure the Jersey Devils out. You know, they, they came the first couple of games in the first round. You didn't know they even, they didn't even belong there. Like they were scared. And then they looked at the, the veteran experience team when they came back and beat the Rangers and eventually led to Gerard Gallant's firing there. There's a team that's kind of hard to figure out. Are they that, that steely young team that can kind of figure it out? Or are they, you know, sometimes they're head out of water, um, look, look like that, uh, against experienced teams. So, um, I'm sure they'll have a response uh, next game though. And Jesse, I think that has a lot to do with just as we talked about a couple podcasts ago, a very young team. You know, they, they right. obviously, uh, you know, overcame, uh, two huge blowout home losses. Uh, in round one, and they have the talent, but eventually, you know, there's there, look Carolina. While they haven't gone on huge runs on the, with this team, they have they there's a lot of veterans there with a with a Stanley Cup champion coach um, who uh, Joe Smith gave a couple five star ratings uh, for Uber when he was in Raleigh doing that feature a couple months <laughs> ago. Um, and uh, excellent, I, yeah, excellent driver. Uh, Joe Smith says, <laughs> yeah, I mean. <clears throat> They're, they're so Jekyll and Hyde, the Devils. Um, they look so like a, when they're good, they look so good that they convince you that like, wow, this team's going to win this series. Mm -hmm. um, and then when they're bad, they're so bad. And I think it has, I mentioned it earlier, the, the coaches kind of pulling the goalies and, and, and changing them out. And I think the Jekyll and Hyde like nature of this team has led to them messing with the goalies more than they should. I think Akira Schmidt came in and showed that he's clearly the best goalie on this team. Um, he showed he was the best goalie on this team in the regular season. It was a limited sample size, but he was their best goalie. I understood why they put Vanacek in to start the playoffs. It's the playoffs. We've got a veteran guy. The, Schmidt is young. He's not all that tested. I understood it. But once you, you play them both and then you put Schmidt into the playoffs and he once again shows he's clearly the better goalie, I don't get going back to Vanacek to try to, I don't know if it's to try to spark the team because you certainly aren't going to get better goaltending out of him. Schmid, how many times does he have to show you that he's the better guy? I, I just, I think that that was a mistake by Ruff. As good as he's been this year, he's, he's made a lot of great moves. I don't like pulling your best goalie out of the net just because the team in front of him had a bad game. Yeah, I agree with you. I was surprised that they, w they went back with him and, um, it kind of gets back to what we were talking about right at the top of the show here. I mean, there's a lot of teams relying on some pretty mediocre goalies right now, and it's amazing that some of these goalies hit round two, but I think we're starting to see the true colors of some of them. Um, and in New Jersey, Schmidt was the better goalie during the regular season, um, and for them to not come back to I, I just think at this point, and Joe and I have talked about this in Minnesota because the Wild still, in in at least the opinions of Joe and I, made a real big mistake going to Flower in, in game two of the, the first round. It just seems, as you said too, Jesse, just jerking around these goalies, just like you got to pick one and go with them, and, um, unless it's an obvious one. And I think in this case, they should have probably gone back to Schmidt. I'm sure they're second-guessing that right now in Jersey. Yeah, they're, 
there's a lot of inexperienced goalies, but one of the guys who's left in this that's that's very experienced, Sergei Bobrovsky, um, has taken a hold of that net in Florida and is up three nothing on the Maple Leafs. They wanted Florida, Leafs fans did at least, and uh, looks like they're kind of regretting that at this point. Is there any? We'll start with you, Joe. Is there any chance the Leafs are coming back? Because I, I, I told I ran into a Leafs fan here in in Edmonton. Uh, yesterday and i i was joking around with him and he's like yeah it's pretty much over and i'm like well think of it this way if you if the leafs were up three nothing you would be sitting here saying we're one bad moment away from blowing this whole thing so you just i mean you just need the opposite to happen to you right like is there is there any chance the leafs are getting back in this series i just don't see it like i mean i didn't also didn't see them winning that many games in a row against tampa including three games in tampa and like overtime games so like i think they're Showing more resilience in this year than in years past, but they've got nothing from their top guys, which is totally surprising considering how they did in the first round series. Uh, you know, Tavares is the biggest goal in Toronto in 15 years, and Matthews is all over the place scoring big deflections. And I just don't. It's, it's less about the, the Leafs, more about what you're seeing from Florida, and that's really impressed me. I know Bobrovsky has been really, really good, and but he hasn't stolen every game. I think that's a kind of a, a bad narrative that he's like stolen every game. Like I think. The Panthers are frustrating them with their forecheck and their physicality and maybe, you know, quasi-dirty stuff, whatever you want to call it. But they're playing with a lot of confidence right now. They just beat the best team, regular season team in NHL history in, in Boston three straight times, so winning down by a goal with a minute left. They have a lot of mojo, right? So I, I just think it's three, three nothing series leads have been what um, beaten, what, three or four times in NHL history? There's reason for that. You know, it's this is not the 2012 Los Angeles Kings, they had a cup under their belt, you know, or whatever that to do it. You know, it's just, it's, it's a whole different group. I, I, even if it's a three nothing series, I watch every game. I'm just that riveted in terms of like either what happened in Toronto or just the, the Panthers themselves. I just, I'm, I'm riveted by this series. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely been the best series. And coincidentally, it's three nothing. Um, Paprowski, I mean, what a, what a, to, for him to revitalize himself here and play as well as he has, it's been outstanding to watch. Um, I cannot believe the Leafs are going into a do-or-die game with a rookie in net when they acquired Matt Murray. I mean, it was just a ridiculous acquisition, I thought, at the time. And uh, and now, I mean, I think it says everything that he's not going to start. It looks like he's not starting uh, a, their, their most important game of the season. But the um, what they've done to Matthews, Marner, Tavares, and Nylander this series is quite frankly, remarkable. Um, I, I The pressure that is now on these four is just uh, insane to me. Um, and uh, but, but back to Florida, I mean, this is not your prototypical eighth seed. We've talked about this right. before. I mean, you know, obviously, huge upset against the Boston Bruins. But again, this was the President's Trophy winner last year. And suddenly they have a goaltender that is back to being Bob. And you look at their team now and you add Matthew Kachuk to it. And that is a really good team. And then you acquire guys like Montour for a third round pick. And, and uh, you know, Gu I mean, Gustav Forsling is a heck of a defenseman, such an underrated defenseman. And um, you can see why Toronto is having its problems right now. And I got to think this is going to be sweet, sweet justice for Paul Maurice if he can get past his old Leafs. Yep, it should be fun to see. All right. And, and lastly, obviously, the series that I'm up here in Edmonton covering. Um, I'll start off with a little bit of my thoughts on it, and then we'll get you guys' thoughts. The Oilers and Golden Knights. And I really got to say, this series, every time I think I know what's going to happen, um, the opposite happens. I mean, we look at game one, the Golden Knights really controlled the game, and Dreisaitl got his four goals. But it was Vegas's game, basically, outside of just those 
fleeting moments where he was able to use his brilliance to score. And then Edmonton comes back with a game two that was completely dominant. It feels like the Edmonton Oilers had figured out the defense and they were they, they were scoring on the power play. They were scoring a five on five coming up to Edmonton to a, a hostile environment and the Golden Knights completely shut them down. Um, this I am continue to be amazed by the way this team defends. Um, Alex Petrangelo on the back end is a huge part of it. Alec Martinez, Stanley Cup experience. He's blocking shots. He's always in the right position. And they are just so strong top to bottom. The way they've defended this Oilers team is impressive. The way they stayed out of the box in game three is obviously the biggest thing because this, this Oilers power play is like Bruce Cassidy was laughing about Dreisaitl's, uh, how many goals he's got. I can't stop laughing at this power play. It's unbelievable. I've never seen anything like it in my entire life where it even in the ones that you kill, it's like you barely escaped it. Like it, 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 they're they're scoring at sixty percent or something like that in the playoffs, and it feels like it should be higher when you watch the power play. You're like, wow, teams stop this four out of ten times. I don't know how they do it. <laughs> um, that, to me, to me, that's the story of this series. Is is can Vegas stay out of the box? If they can, I think they're better at five on five. But if they can't, and if you only they only need a couple opportunities, um, that's that's what the Oilers need to win is to just get onto that power play. What have you guys seen? Exactly that. Uh, you know, I, I mean, frankly, you know, game one, even strength, if you just kept them off the power play, you know, Vegas obviously uh, did that, that quality, but e- even strength, they were the better team. Uh, game two, you just felt like that power play was going to score 100% of the time. And then game three, they stayed out of the box. So it's, you know, sometimes you can't help it, but it's incumbent on them to keep, you know, uh, playing on their toes and uh, with the puck so they don't take any penalties. Um, and then you got to take advantage of your own power play. You know, I mean, when like, you know, th- everything was equal in that game three. And then Evander Kane just took a ridiculous penalty at regular at the end of regulation. And it just changed the whole tenor of that game really in the second and third period. And then even those times where Edmonton seemed to be gaining uh, traction, um, they did a really quality job of escaping that and then quick strike scoring. So, um, you know, Vegas, it was a great, great response. Uh, I, I love their team. Um, you know, and, and frankly, uh, I, I remember I tweeted at the time when all these Eastern teams were just making trade after trade after trade, reminding people that there's only one cup and it might come from the West and why not be Edmonton or, uh, or, or, or Vegas right now, you know, these other teams spent unbelievable assets and then Vegas goes out and adds a guy like Barbashev and look at the impact he's having. And it's a lot of fun too seeing a guy like Eichel in his first playoff, right? It's hard to believe it is. Um, making the heck of a play the other last game to hit P March or so for a goal. Like you see these you want to see the big time players in the the best games or in the latest in the playoffs. Like everybody everybody would love to see a Connor McDavid in the cup big final. Time. I think it's good for the league. Uh everything else like that. And or Eichel too would be be awesome for the league. Um but some of my favorite stories are kind of like the uh, under the radar ones and like I remember Jonathan Marsh or so watching him score in these playoffs, I'm like I covered him in Tampa. We went through waivers and him and his wife were living with their baby in a Marriott hotel down the street from the hotel and kind of fighting to stay his way in the league. And here he is like obviously a huge contract, a big part of what they're doing in Vegas. But that's kind of funny how hockey works, right? You know, Carter Verhage the same way, you know, he's on the scrap heap. It wasn't a qualified offer by Tampa. And all of a sudden he's, you know, 11, 11 playoff goals, you know, like it's just incredible to see. And that's why I love the sport so much is all these stories that come out of it. Definitely. Definitely. Awesome, guys. Well, that's, that covers every series. And up next, we've got Craig Button. He's always awesome. He's going to be awesome again. Um, so don't go anywhere. Craig Button up next. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right. And we are joined by TSN's director of scouting, expert on NHL draft prospects, the NHL draft, and basically everything hockey. Uh, Craig Button, thanks for coming on. Keith, Jesse, you're too kind, you know. <laughs> I, I always I always say the, the beautiful thing about hockey and, uh, you know, so many people are, are invested. You, you know, Joe, you were, I just heard you talking about how you're watching every game. And, you, you know, what I think really keeps all of us sharp is knowing that other people are sharp. <laughs> and so, you know, you're going, you're watching, you know, and, and it's not just watching and being sharp. It's knowledge and and, and and a level of, of of information that comes out that makes it that makes it really really good for 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 not only uh, the people watching but the people reading the people listening. So to me, uh, there's just the, there's just this great great depth and uh, and breadth of, of of quality hockey knowledge that comes out. I'm just happy to be part of it. I I, I couldn't agree more. I I've had the pleasure of covering Bruce Cassidy in Vegas this year, mm-hmm. and I. I every press conference Bruce Cassidy holds, I leave a smarter hockey fan, hockey writer than I was before it. Um, just it's such a pleasure listening to him, and I I totally agree. Um, just all of us trying to soak up as much knowledge as we can. It's one of the things that really bugged me about Daryl Sutter in Calgary. Not really bugged me, bugged like you know what you have people that are that are asking questions, and like some questions are always going to be better than other questions, but his disdain. For, for just about everybody that asked the question and, and his disrespect, you know, well, quite frankly, you know, I, I, I abhorred it. And, you know, if that's, if that's the way we're going to sell our league, then good riddance to Daryl Sutter. And he's a good coach, but that's no way to be treating people. Yeah. And I mean, Craig, like, I think that some coaches, not all, some, um, like, forget that we're just the conduit to the fan. You know, like we're asking questions so you could you the people that are paying money to come into your arena that they know that they know as much as possible. Obviously, things are held back of what's going on, that things are explained. And I think it's the same way with GMs that just don't talk to the media. I mean, there's like five or six GMs right now in this league that I mean, they could fire a coach and will not talk to the media. Um, And I I just don't get that. Uh, You know, there is we are we're not there to be an annoyance. We're there to be a a functional conduit to your stakeholders. Mike, I I know when I was a GM and I I, I just really felt I mean, the morning skate practices going and just spending time just talking, milling about, I called it, you know, like you, you hear and it gives everybody a chance to talk. And, and, and it, it also gives people, hey, you know, I was thinking this, then you can have a, a longer discussion than just a, a Q&A. And I, I, it's something that's been lost, that, that, just that gathering, 
that gathering of just talking. But I mean, how many people give away secrets? This idea that, like, you know, we're guarding uh, gold bricks at Fort Knox, it, it's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. It really is. And yeah, you're right, Mike. You, there has to be a certain measure of, of things that you don't want to share that, that we all respect, right? But, but, but on every single thing, like, you know, line combinations and, you know, who the starting goalie is, like, I mean, like, give me a break. Like, I mean, what you're doing is, is you're preparing your own team. And like, if you don't think the other team isn't prepared for, for just about every scenario, you, you're like, what, what, it, it's almost an insult to, 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 to the intelligence uh, of everybody. But, you know, I guess we can't change everything. We'll just have to accept certain things as they are and celebrate those that, uh, like Bruce Cassidy, that are so open, John Cooper, Joe, who you spent a lot of time mm -hmm. around, like, you know, mm -hmm. we're just so open and forthcoming. And those are just a couple that I named. There, there, there's so many that are just terrific. Yeah. I'll, I'll never forget, like, my first start of my career is at University of Michigan. And this is when I fell in love with, you know, being a sports writer, being a journalist, being a beat writer, is covering the Michigan hockey team. And Red Berenson was the head coach at that time. And he ran it like an NHL program, basically. Um, we were just student journalists walking from our dorms to the, from classes to the practice. If we came to practice, though, he pulled us up in the lounge, you know, maybe the Ann Arbor News reporter, and gave us as much time yeah. as we wanted, like half hour, 35 minutes, on the record, off the record. It's like a history lesson of hockey from what he went through in his career. And so you're like, if you invest your time and you go to watch practice and you pay attention, He's like, I'll give you all the time in the world. And like for a guy of that stature, and that doesn't happen everywhere. It doesn't happen in every single program yeah. or every NHL team. I don't expect the coaches to give us a half hour every day, but it really, I learned so much about the game and appreciated more about the game learning because I became a better reporter by knowing more. And he was just, I was grateful for that, that kind of started my career to learn that that people out there that do that, that really help the next wave of people to go on. Well, you know, I, I Pat Quinn, who was the coach in Toronto and, you know, Obviously, there's there's more reporters and everything. He stood up there, and, and not only did he answer the questions, not only did he go in depth and and, and offer like you know thoughts and you know give some insight. He never had somebody saying last question. Pat decided when it was last question, and sometimes that was thirty five minutes, sometimes it was fifteen. But Pat stood there and always gave you know the the respect to to, to the media, and and I think Joe, just your your comment about you know. If you're there doing the work, then he's going to help you, you know, deliver the news so that the people that follow back to Mike's comment, right? The, the people that pay, the people that are passionate and following have, have as much good information to, to enjoy it even more at, at a deeper level. I, and that's what it's about. And that's why a lot of times when I do podcasts, Craig, I'll actually sit there and ask for questions from fans because sometimes they have the better questions than, than some of us <laughs> reporters. Uh, Craig, if you don't mind, uh, let, let's switch gears because sure. we, I know we want to talk to you about the playoffs as well. Um, but let's talk about the draft lottery. It seems like it's been 17 years of hype for Connor Bedard. Um, and, uh, you know, it's funny because I was telling somebody this the other day, like maybe I'm just like getting old, which is true anyway. Um, but I don't remember this much hype when Connor McDavid was was. Uh, entering his draft and this has been maybe it has to do with the fact that there were so many teams that it felt like we're we're trying to lose this season I've never seen so many teams that were sort of a free space on the bingo card to try to have a chance to get Connor Bedard so it just felt like months and months and months and months of talking but now we have an answer we know he's going to the Chicago Blackhawks uh, barring uh, you know a, a trade 
where somebody offers McDavid and dries idle for the pick. Um, you know, w- what's your thoughts on one, how hyped he was and whether he's going to translate to the national hockey league and Chicago getting that right. You know, one of the things I'll say about the hype too, and I, I, I think the pandemic ha- had a lot to do with greater interest because, you know, now, you know, you're, you're living your life through video watching games. And I think that, you know, to be able to consume and now you're hearing about Connor Bedard, you know, you don't have as many other things occupying your time. So if you're interested in prospects, you're interested in watching and hearing about the next, uh, you know, generational player. I think that that also lended some stuff. I also think too, Mike, you're right. You know, Connor McDavid came in. I don't think there was the same interest in prospects that, to the level we see it today. You know, <laughs> we have uh, a lot of a lot of people that are in the in the public space. Uh, watching prospects, putting out lists, doing the work. They're doing the work. And they're, and you know, I, I always chuckle and I, I try to remind people no list is the same. So you can think that my list, I'm an idiot, but like you can look at any list and pick out anything and say, you know, this person or that person. The NHL teams, there's, there's 32 teams and all the lists are different. So it just comes down to different opinions. And, you know, one of the things that I think has, has, has been great. It, it is the public interest and the people that are taking the time and putting in the effort to watch the players and to assess the players, write about the players and, you know, pr- pr- present them to this. So I think there's a greater interest. And I think the pandemic, uh, you know, created uh, more of an opportunity to, to really dial in and watch him. Maybe whereas in the past, you might not have uh, been able to do that as much or really had a, an inclination to do it as much. Uh, when it comes to Connor Bedard, and John Paddock told me this last spring, he said he's been in the spotlight since he was 12 years old, and there's no spotlight that's been too bright for him. And so when you ask me, and, and there's always going to be that question, does it translate to the NHL? Because ultimately, that's what it's about. And watching Connor play, you know, from the time he went into junior hockey to international hockey at the U18 to the U20, he, he not only has excelled, he, he's been better than everybody. <laughs> like everybody like and playing at times players five years older than them sometimes four years older than them sometimes three years older than them. and and when you're when you're best on best tournaments and you're not just holding your own but you are clearing away the best player i i i think it translates you, you know obviously you need the skills and you know he's got tremendous skills I, i've said this a number of times since the world junior i think that his junior year is the best junior year at this age for a player entering the draft or at this age since Wayne Gretzky in 1977-78. And he's not Gretzky. I'm not suggesting he's Gretzky. And of course, the question, what about McDavid? What about Crosby? What about Lemieux? Great seasons in the respective junior leagues. But the separator for me is Connor McDavid went to the World Junior Tournament and owned it. He owned it. He owned it like very few players have ever owned the World Junior Tournament at 17 years of age. The last player to do that was Gretzky at the 1978 World Junior Tournament, and he was 16. He was he had just uh, he was just uh, about to turn 17 when uh, so he was six months younger than Connor when when he did it. But that that's the kind of space that Connor found himself in this year. And one of the things that that I always watch for players is. How do they? How do they deal with teams trying to stop them? Like you, you know, you you know, you stop assessing the skating, the shot, the puck handling, the, everything that goes with it. Now you start assessing how, how what I call problem solving, and 
he problem solves as good as any player I've seen in a lot. Like he, he problem solves at the level of generational player and he problem solves in real time. That's what him. Plus, I mean, that goal he scored in against Slovakia in the quarterfinal, he, he knew he was out there for a long time and he was thinking, I got to get off the ice. But when the puck turned over right away, he said, wait a sec, they've been out here as long as I've been out here. <laughs> so he, he knew that there was an opportunity to take advantage. I mean, that's, problem solving in real time where you can switch i got to get up wait a second no the puck came to me i can do this and of course he did what what are your thoughts on chicago getting the the honors to pick him yeah i mean i i mean kyle davidson made a made a he was very decisive in what he was going to do i mean he he said we're we're going a complete a new direction a rebuild and we are going to uh Burn it down, and you know maybe I shouldn't use that term, burn it down. But 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 he he was demolishing it. He 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 wasn't he wasn't remodeling. He was it was demoli demolition full on in there. And you think about Chicago going into Pittsburgh on the Wednesday end of the season and ending the Pittsburgh Penguins playoff hopes, helping Florida get into the playoffs. You know coincidentally, and you know and then you're thinking, well, why are they winning? And and you know that's always the question. Why is Columbus winning? Why is this team winning? Well. You know, the lottery is, is weighted a certain way. And, you know, we know that there's a possibility for other teams to win. And, and certainly Chicago did that. But I, I, he's not surrounded by the depth of talent that he would have uh, been surrounded with if he went to Anaheim or he went to Columbus. So I think it's going to be a little bit of a longer road for that team uh, to rise up and, and, and be a playoff contender. But when you have a player just like Crosby, just like McDavid, just like Lemieux, when, when those players enter your sphere, you, you now become, you, you can now talk about being Stanley Cup contenders in the future, whatever that future is. I mean, you, you can legitimately start talking about that. And I think it's a reasonable expectation. Craig, but just real quick, Joe. I mean, isn't it amazing? Do you remember when they beat Pittsburgh? Like, the fans in Chicago, maybe you don't will pay attention to Twitter as I, as I do. Oh, I do. Mike. Freaking I out that you. they, that freaking out that they won that game. Uh -huh. And if you think about it, that pushed them over the top of, of uh, Columbus in terms, I think regulation wins and it put them in a tie in points. If I remember, but put them one, one point below them. So they finished basically 29th and or 30th and, and Columbus 31st. And you think about how that fate, you know, not only do they knock Pittsburgh out, get Florida in that might knock out <laughs> Toronto, but they get Connor Bedard because it's crazy. It, it really is, right? You, you think about all these all these machinations that, that, that occur, and then, you, you know, everybody's trying to, okay, they know Bedard's in there. How do we position ourselves to be competitive but not be too, too good and, and everything that goes with it? Then they win, and yet it's sheer luck. It, it's, a, it's a lottery. It's sheer luck. And, you know, yeah. certainly – for the Chicago Blackhawks, I mean, you go back. I, I'll, I'll share a story with with you. I was in Cabo San Lucas during the uh, during the All Star break uh, with my family, and uh, we were having dinner one night. And Patrick Kane came over. He was there on the All Star break, and he came over. And I've known Patrick for a lot of years. And uh, we just say first words out of his mouth. He goes. So how good is this uh, the dart kid? <laughs> and I told him, I said he's a lot like you, Patrick. He's confident. He's great with the puck, you know. And like, like, but there, there was Patrick Kane. This was in February, and here he is asking me about Connor Bedard, like you know, and you yeah. know. He, and you think back, 
And you think back to the Chicago Blackhawks drafting first overall and getting Patrick Kane. And, you know, it, it, it's fascinating to me. Again, we talk about the, the games, but here's something even further back, you know, and, and the connection. I, I, and, and maybe I'm dreaming, maybe I'm romantic, but uh, maybe it'd be interesting if Patrick Kane came back and, you know, was that player to, you know, be there for young Connor Bedard. Wouldn't shock me. Yeah. Craig, I love a GM perspective on this one. I know there's a narrative or talk about that there's a, a thought that the Blackhawks maybe didn't deserve to have a, a first round pick uh, coming off of the Kyle Beach situation a year and a half ago. And they got penalized $2 million, of course, which they made up triple that <laughs> in five hours when Bedard was potentially number one pick and take the tail and stuff like that. As a, If you're a GM in this league, when that situation happens in Chicago, are you upset that they don't get Give, have to give up a first round pick or forfeit a pick one year, whether it's 2022 or 2023, um, you know, from a competitive situation there. Like, I know it's a lot to dive into this whole, do a whole podcast on this, but like, what would be your feeling as a GM in this league that Chicago went through this whole thing? I know they cleaned house and stuff like that, but they may not deserve to have that overall pick. Yeah. That, I, I think when, when, when we talk about deserving, I mean, okay. So we know what unfolded with, with the Kyle Beach situation. We know what the punishment that was meted out was, right? So in, in, in these types of circumstances, I think in, in anything, you know, we can look at it and go, was the punishment enough? Was it too much? And depending on, on, on the, on the lens and your perspective, you know, an argument can be made any which way. You know, one of the things that, you, you know, and I, I tried to go back. I didn't hear anybody complaining about the Chicago Blackhawks having a first round pick when they went in the third hole. <laughs> it only came to light once they won the lottery. So, so was it a problem when they had the third pick or was it just a problem that they won the lottery and got the first pick? Because, you know, the commissioner does not have the opportunity to say, well, in case of, you know, you, you win it, you don't get it. You have to stay in your spot. Now, I know there's lots of lots of different angles to look at this and we can talk about what Kyle Beach went through. But, you know, when Gary went through it and, and, and it's done on the bylaws of, of the NHL constitution, Right. You know, you go through it and maybe, maybe in hindsight, we can look at it and go, was it fair? Should they be rewarded like this? I think it's a fair discussion, but I think it, when, when, when it all ends, you know, the Chicago Blackhawks, when I say the Chicago Blackhawks, the people that were involved have, per, have paid a pretty significant price. And, you know, now the question, and so did Kyle Beach. Like, I mean, like, I'm not just talking about Kyle Beach, Kyle Beach paid the, the most significant price, but, you know, how do we, how do we continue to, to move forward and knowing what the punishment is and was it enough? Is it too much? And, and where do we go from here? I mean, it, it's a franchise. It's a company. And if, if, if we're always going to be able to assess and say that wasn't enough, that wasn't enough punishment or somebody thinks that that was more than enough. And I think that it's not, uh, it's not clear cut. It, it's not night and day with respect to it. And so I, I, I look at it and go, you know, they're, they're part of the league. They're part of the process. They paid the penalty. And, and whether it was high enough or severe enough, I guess that will be debated for, for, for a long time, probably. There were a lot of disappointed fans, a lot of disappointed GMs, probably, uh, that were hoping they were going to win <laughs> that lottery. But but I'm, I'd like to ask you about the rest of this draft, because we've, we've obviously heard about Bedard for a long time, but um, we've also heard that this draft class just in general is is one of the strongest we've seen in a while. Um, you, you, you think there are some pretty good uh, 
secondary prizes to those that didn't get Connor Bedard that are still waiting to, waiting to get picked, right? Oh, I thought the draft ended at one. There's other players in this draft, Jesse. Like, <laughs> I have no idea. Like, I've only watched Bedard. Like, maybe when I was expressing on, I've been on too much Connor Bedard video. Uh, all kidding aside, here's the way I define quality draft. I mean, a lot of times we get, we all do, it's the top end, and we go, oh, it's a great draft, is it the top end? Here's the way I define the quality. I think in this draft, and, and I, I, in my own assessments, I think it goes 20, 22 deep with top two line forwards and top three defensemen. That's what I see. And I think when you can when, when you can project those types of players, are they all going to turn out to be top two line? Probably not, but that's just what history tells you, right? But that's where I see it now. So when you're picking 10 and you're looking at a top two line forward, and, and you know, Mike, you, you and me talked about this back at the 2019 draft, and Boldy went 12. And like, you know, clear-cut number one, uh, Four top line forward, and he's just one, right? Trevor Zegers went ninth, right? And, and you looked at that draft class, and Cole Caulfield mm-hmm. went 15th. I'm just naming the U.S. kids, but like you go back and look at that draft, and, and it's very, for me, it's very, very similar to this year's draft. The depth of quality player, the complainer. I mean, when you look at skill, skill's hard to acquire. Top three defensemen, you know, those are essential to any team's success. And, and I see them in this draft. Now, Alex Turcott went fifth. I certainly projected him as a top two line forward. He hasn't found his way yet. Does that mean he won't? But I, that's the way I see it, Jesse. And I think that there's, that there's that level of, uh, of quality through 20 or 22. And we know there's going to be other players that are going to come out of, uh, the second, third, fourth rounds and a handful of them that are going to end up being. How did they get that player there? Jason Robertson comes to mind. Nikita Kucherov comes to mind. I mean, I mean, obviously Kaprizov in the fifth round. I mean, those are all players that are kind of Mark Stone, who you watched this year, Jesse. I mean, there's always going to be those players. But I think that if teams knew that they were going to be that good, I don't think they would have waited that long <laughs> to draft them. <laughs> Um, Craig, uh, as I said, I wanted to ask you about the the playoffs, but I, just one more thing about this draft. I mean, you know, I, I'm really looking forward to going back to Nashville, and I wanted to ask you about uh, the 2003 draft. To me, it's the best draft that I've ever covered. Not only do you look at the first round, um, but, you know, you think of guys like, what, Bergeron and Pavelski and Louis Erickson and Shea Weber, and uh, I think David Backus was in that draft. Um, what's your biggest memory of that 2003 draft in Nashville? And, and are you amazed that that is 20 years ago and we're going back there now this year? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, it, it, you look at it and, and I think back to, to the draft and, and again, Patrice Bergeron, if you, if you watch Patrice play in junior hockey, th- there was never, ever anything in his game that jumped out at you. And, and you could see the hockey sense and everything. Well, isn't that Patrice Bergeron to a T in his NHL career? And I, I, I think what jumps out to me, Mike, is, you know, like, like there's certain things that are going to just attract uh, you, you to them. The, you know, the great skating, the great shot, the flair. I mean, that's just something that captures our attention. And, you know, I think for me, what I've learned is, is that like those players, the orderly part of the game is something that the NHL requires. Not, not, not for everybody, but, you know, a lot of players, I call it the flash and dash element. A lot of players have a lot of flash, and they're good players at that level of skill, but it doesn't translate unless you have those other things. I, you know, I think, I, you know, that's just one part of it. Watching Marc-Andre Fleury, who you now have watched closely here, you know, he, he was such a, 
talent. And, you know, he went first overall, and you look back all these years later, he has become, he's a Hall of Fame goalie. I mean, simple as that, Hall of Fame person. And what amazes me is that it's still, all these years later, the Asilevsky in, in 19th, the best player from the 2012 draft. And you start, and I still hear people talking against drafting goaltenders high. I, I, like, I, I don't know why. I just, and I know there's only one slot and I know, but I just had this discussion with some people in Vancouver. Uh, they, they said, oh, geez, you know, why would they drive? They took you a lady. Okay. Yeah. They took you a lady. They also took Jake for tanning. Does that mean they're not going to draft right wingers now? Cause he didn't turn out the way they thought. You know, it, it just seems that there's always this kind of groundswell against goaltenders. And if they don't make it, if you draft them high, somehow that that is, you should never do it again. I've watched over many years, centers, right wings, left wings, defensemen, that were high picks fail, not make it. So we're not going to draft them either. And I think, again, you you, you look at the, the the first part of that draft, like Jaredev went, I, I think Jaredev went four. A massive oh, yeah. flash and dash player. Massive flash and dash player. And then you start to look at Mike Richards and Ryan Kessler, who won 23-24. Those are just a couple. I mean, Ryan Suter went, I think, seventh, uh, Mike? Was, seven. Is that, yep, you know, seven. You look at him, and you just go, well, how does this happen? Shea Weber in the second round, Braden Coburn, eighth overall. Braden had a good NHL career. Not even So the projection part, Braden was a great skater, big, lanky, and Shea Weber was a force. Now, that becomes the trick of the draft. And I think that I, I think going back to that draft, Mike, what becomes really educational is understanding, okay, why did Weber end up in that spot? And why did Bergeron end up in that spot? Just to name two, Th then you can go back and, and try to apply it now and say, okay, is there anybody that has a, a, a similar, not style of play, but is in a similar kind of situation where, you know, you look at it and they're not quite refined. They're not quite developed. They're not flashy. And, you know, I mean, Shea Weber certainly is going to have an argument for the Hall of Fame. Uh, Bergeron is automatic, and those are mid-second round picks at that time. Yeah. You mentioned Richards and uh, and uh, Carter, who are always joined at the yeah. hip. Um, I mean, how about, how about, was it Anaheim draft traded, I think, two seconds to Dallas to get Corey Perry and wind up getting Perry and Getzlaff in the same oh. draft, uh, won them a cup. So, pretty cool. Yeah, it is. like. Th well, think about that team. Think about those players. Not only did they teams have success, or the players have success individually, their teams had success winning cups. They represented their countries in international play to, to, to great success. I mean, when, when you think about what that draft class did, it, 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 it's beyond impressive on, on so many different levels. And, and I think that that becomes a separator too, Mike, for when we call it the best draft class. Okay, let's say it ever. Yeah. Greg, I wanted to kind of segue to the playoffs if we could. And one of the biggest stories, and not just if you're in the center of hockey universe, um, <laughs> is the Maple Leafs. And um, I'm as surprised as anyone that they are in this position, their season on the line by the time this podcast is even put out there uh, tonight. Um, after beating the Lightning in the first round, I thought they kind of exercised their demons there. I'll never forget something you told me a couple of years back. I was asking about Julian Brazewell and the Lightning after they got swept by the Black, uh, the Blue Jackets and do they blow it up or not? And so the number one job of a GM is to have a clear and brutally honest feel for your team, evaluation of your team, not what they hope they can be or think they can be, but what they truly are, and then decide to go from there how to help it or, or not. And I was curious, if you're the GM of the Toronto Maple Leafs and they lose in this series against the Florida Panthers, what is your evaluation of that team and what they where they go from here? 
Well, I mean, it, you, you know that there's going to be profound disappointment, even even if they extend the series. But if they lose this series versus the Florida Panthers, I mean, it's going to be profound disappointment. One of the things that I continuously look back to, and uh, 2020, they played game five against Columbus, and they didn't get anything when it mattered. 2021 against Montreal, I mean, they, they were up three games to one, seemingly in full control. And by the time they got to game seven in a, in, in a, in a must-win game, they had nothing. You know, you go back last year to Tampa Bay, 2022, game seven, nothing. Absolutely nothing. Now you go into Florida after losing the first two games uh, at home, and in game three, absolutely nothing. And absolutely nothing from their top player. Maybe there's a greater pattern here than people realize. Maybe this just isn't Florida. Maybe it's Florida, Tampa Bay, Columbus, and the Montreal Canadiens exposed some flaws in the, in, in the group. Now, does that mean that all these players are not good? No, they're, they're terrific players. They're top-end players, superstars. But sometimes a collection of stars, and, and, and including superstars, sometimes doesn't work. And I think the brutally honest part has to come from the evaluation of saying, okay, what can we do to, to, give, to give those players a better chance to succeed? And what do we need to do with our team in making decisions that may not include some of these players? I go back to, I go back to 1995, 94, 95 with the Red Wing. Really good team. Scotty Bowman had been there for a couple of years at that point in time. Go back and look. They had Ray Shepard. They had Paul Eisenbart. They had Dino Cicerelli. They had all that skill around Eisenman and Fedorov and, you know, all those good players. And they couldn't win. And, and they went to the final and couldn't win. Then they had that 62 win season in 1996. And Feder I mean, Eisenman and Fedorov were the ones taking the heat. They had Lipstrom on the blue line. They had Eisenman was, Eisenman specifically was the one taking the heat, but they evaluated and they said, wait a second here. We got good. We got to have to change the makeup of the team. They made a different decision. They said, no, these guys we can win with, but we need more Marty LaPointe, more Darren McCarty, more Chris Draper, more Kirk Maltby, just like in 2020, more Barkley Goodrow, more <laughs> Blake Coleman. They knew they had top-end players, and I think that's where Toronto finds themselves. I, I don't think it's a sim. I'm hearing lots of blow it up, blow it up, get rid of them, you can't win with the girl. <clears throat> well, you, you could have done that in Detroit too. I, I think that obviously when you have the result, that uh, after going through the process, that, that that helps you. But at the same time, I think that you have to be, to, 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 to use that term again, brutally honest with yourself. What do we have to do and, and not be knee-jerk? And the hardest thing to do uh, is, is to not be knee-jerk because you can't undo things. I, 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 I tell a story all the time when I was in Minnesota. We traded Larry Murphy. We traded Larry Murphy. There was just this kind of disdain for him. We traded him to Pittsburgh. We were on a conference call four weeks later looking for a right-shot defenseman that could run our power play and move <laughs> the buck. It was like, what, what, what? and then he, won, won, he only won the Stanley Cup that next day. I mean, Pittsburgh beat us in the Stanley Cup final, and we were knee-jerk. It's as simple as that, and you, you better be careful. And it wasn't until we ended up with Sergey Zuboff that we finally found a capable replacement, and that was that was uh, five years later. So, you know, be careful about trading skill, and Scotty Bowman always reminded me of that. You can't win in this league with high-end skill. How you surround it, how you support it, and it doesn't always mean you're keeping every single player, but you got to understand that. And I think I think it'll be a really hard place for Toronto to be in uh, in the evaluation because I think that if they do lose, 
I think the first place they're going to start is with the manager. And it's going to be a new manager that's going to have to make the decisions. I don't think it'll be the current one. Fantastic, Craig, can we get you on? Can, yeah, Craig, can we get you on every week? Is that possible? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, <laughs> it's always possible, I Mike. I, I don't have I, to be here. I don't have to be here. I can. First, I can buy first of all, you guys are all good people. So, like, I mean, for me, it always comes down to the people. Like, I got time for good people all the time. <laughs> Thanks, Craig. I feel I feel like we could sit here and talk hockey for hours, uh, but unfortunately, we can't. Um, but Thank you for your your time, Craig. Uh, this has been this has been great, and we'll we'll definitely have to have you on uh, in the future. Yeah, well, uh, thank you very much, uh, Jesse and Joe and uh, Mike. I mean, like I said, I, I have great respect for what you do. I have great respect for your knowledge, and you know, I feel the same way. I feel like we can just talk and you know have good exchanges, uh, and and I learn as much as, as anybody having these discussions. So. Thank you for being as great as you guys are at your jobs. It, 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 it extends all the way through. So always happy to be part of it. And thanks for having me. Back at awesome. you. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. All right. And uh, we've got rapid fire coming up next. So don't go anywhere. All right, it's time for my favorite show, part of the show and yours, Rapid Fire. We're going to start off with a guy who seems to burn brighter and burn out quicker than any coach I've ever seen, Gerard Gallant. I got to know him here in Vegas. Awesome coach. It seems like everywhere he goes, he's incredible, and everyone is saying, how the heck did this guy get fired? And then a couple years later, he's looking for another job. Um, obviously, let go by the Rangers after just going to the conference finals a year ago. Uh, we'll start with you, Joe. What did you think of uh, the Rangers parting ways with Gerard Glant? Well, it is amazing to think that the three Jack Adams Award finalists from a year ago are all without a job right now. It just shows like either the, the lack of patience that some teams have with their head coaches. Um, unless some of you are in a different place in Minnesota, they're pretty patient here. <laughs> but I'm just saying, like, you know, he had a, actually a conference final last year, you know, right up there against Tampa. This year, 108 points, 113 points, like, and it just shows you the power of the player, right? The power of players in their exit meetings, making their claim and saying, hey, same with Daryl Sutter, right? Like, the power of, of players right now and those voices in those exit meetings really kind of shining through for me because I don't think Gerard Gallant's a bad coach. I mean, I think there's some some weaknesses in what he does, which has been shown over time. Uh, I just think there'd be a, there probably has to be a better yin with the yang with him, with another assistant coach that could no more X's and O's or do these things and, and complement what he does, but it just shows the impatience of, I think, management because we're going to get right now for that for the coach, the Rangers. Well, uh, Larry Brooks had some uh, theories the other day that we could talk about uh, uh, a little bit as well, but I, I just think, um, you know, I know Gerard really well, um, and I, I just think he's apolitical. You know, he's, he's one of those people that doesn't hold back. He gets... You know, if he gets angry, he's going to tell it like it is. And I think sometimes that creates friction with the people above him. And then they just eventually pull the plug, not just the players. Um, and I think, you know, Arthur Staple reported, um, and I believe Elliot Friedman reported that there was a confrontation or an argument between, uh, you know, Chris Drury and, and uh, Gerard Gallant after game three. That's not 
totally abnormal. Um, but you just felt like this was coming. And I think that's why, um, you know, Gerard was so tense in his end of the year exit meeting. And uh, to your point, it is cr- it's amazing to me that that players just feel so comfortable talking and being honest with a Chris Drury or a Daryl Sutter reportedly. Um, and it was it was pretty funny that the report that came out, I think, by Frank Saravelli, that a bunch of Calgary Flames players rescinded their trade requests after Daryl was fired. What, you got to wonder what happens now with tree living. Like, I, I mean, from everything I understand is that tree living essentially left Calgary because he didn't want to work with Daryl. And now Daryl's gone. <laughs> Tree's a free agent. Um, so, you know, maybe they just bring him back. Um, but it was pretty great. Like Gerard, like, you know, Larry is always ahead of the game, but it was pretty crazy. He said that if, if, if Toronto, uh, you know, gets, if Toronto essentially uh, bows out, then maybe Dubas gets fired, goes to Pittsburgh, then he hires Sheldon Keefe, who's going to be fired in Toronto. And then Mike Sullivan's going to be fired in Pittsburgh and go to the Rangers. Like he had all these connecting dots. It's not often that Larry, before about three things happens, goes and reports that. But uh, he doesn't just throw stuff against the wall. So, you know, somebody's telling him something interesting there. Should, should be a fun offseason. Um, some awful news out of Colorado. Gabriel Landeskog, uh, obviously, he's been dealing with a knee injury for. A while now, um, they announced he's going to undergo cartilage transplant in his right knee on May 10th, and they're already ruling him out for all of the next season. Um, obviously, awful news. That surgery sounds terrifying. Um, just what were you guys' initial thoughts when you see Landeskog out for as long as they're already ruling him out for? Well, exactly that. Uh, I mean, that is, I've never even heard of cartilage, cartilage transplant surgery. Um, you know, and it's funny because I was talking to a doctor um, after Mason Shaw here in Minnesota had his fourth ACL surgery. And I said, how, how many ACLs are essentially too much? Like, can you continually get re- reconstructive surgeries at two and two on each knee? Um, and and the, the doctor basically says you can have it countless times. It's just essentially up to the uh, the, the patient. Like, do I want to deal with this again? But this one I've never even heard of. Uh, feel bad for the guy. He's played a hard brand of hockey for a long time. Uh, this seemed like a fluke injury um, when it happened, and, and clearly it just hasn't gotten better. He's tried to skate and skate and skate, and it just didn't work, and now he's going to have the surgery. So hopefully we see Gabriel Landeskog on the ice again. Well, absolutely heartbreaking thing for him and for the, the fans there and the team. Like, you lose your captain, and not just the vocal captain, but a very play-driving force there for them. I remember in the Tampa series, like last time I saw him play and, and he was carrying the cup out of the, the bottles of Emily arena and they were all had all their Bud Lights fueled and walking past us and, you know, chanting outside the media, you know, like go from that joy he had to now having to sit two full seasons. And he's not a young guy either, but I just amazed at hockey players and what he must've been playing through for that to be and have no cartilage and then have to come back and have this surgery. So, uh, you know, best of luck for his recovery, but it kind of just you know, it shows you how banged up the Colorado Avalanche were this year uh, and what they were missing from last year's cup team. Why it's so hard to repeat. Yeah. And he's, he's still got six years, I believe after this year left on that deal that he signed um, the eight year deal. So still quite a bit of runway. Hopefully uh, we get to see him back on the ice. Like Mike said um, in some, we'll wrap up with a little bit more uh, fun news and we've now got the weekend in on the celebrity <laughs> death match to get the Ottawa Senators for the weekend. Snoop Double G, Ryan Reynolds. I cannot believe that the Ottawa Senators are somehow now the hottest uh, A-list celebrity purchase that everyone wants to make. Um, I don't, <laughs> let's let's talk about this and let's Mike. Which which uh, which celebrity do you think is the best celebrity to uh, to bring the Senators forward in, in in their future? Snoop, baby. 
Uh, yeah, I, I said this on last year's week's podcast. He's one of the few celebrities that I've seen in person. I remember at an All-Star game where it just stopped me in my tracks and I just watched because it's Snoop. Um, it is amazing that this team has become the coolest franchise. They've gone from like the athletic did a freaking months and months and months expose on the tenure that was Eugene Melnick. And now they are going to have a new ownership group that is going to be uh, clearly celebrity driven here. The NHL has got to love this. This publicity is incredible, regardless of which group eventually gets it. But this is just a. Uh, you know, usually you see this stuff in other sports, uh, not not so much the NHL and uh, and of Ottawa of all teams, uh, pretty crazy. Well, I mean, I grew up in '90s rap, so like Snoop would be obviously my top choice. But I mean, Ryan Reynolds has the background experience of, yeah. of running and managing a, a team in a soccer club, which has gone really well. So I think you'd have more. I think Snoop would do a lot of work for the, um, you know, making it more diverse and in in obviously helping the game in that way. But I was stunned to hear the figure of one billion dollars for like to buy the team. Like you have to imagine how many o- thirty owners in the NHL are like, huh? Got to cash out right now. Right. I think it's somebody lightning raised in value. If, if Ottawa Senators are worth this, or what? What's Vegas worth? What's anybody? You know, like what's the Minnesota yeah. Wild worth? Like it's it's unbelievable to think of how what the next you know expansion fee will be, or like what this will do for the, the values of franchises around the league. Yeah, I think paying the $500 million expansion fee suddenly seems like a great deal um, yeah. if, you're, if you're Bill Foley or, or, or the group in Seattle. Yeah. Um, so, but he, like Mike said, great for the NHL. This is regardless of who ends up getting it. This It's great that the, that the NHL is seems to be part of the cool kids now with, with the celebrities wanting to own them like, like, like you see in other sports. Um, good stuff, guys. This has been great. See, who needs Pizzo? Thanks for having me. Yeah, who needs Pizzo? You do a fine job right. hosting. <laughs> Joe do. does a fine I, I job to, filling big, in. Big shoes to fill. Um, we want to thank everyone out there for listening. Um, and as always, we'll remind you to uh, subscribe to the Athletics NHL YouTube channel at youtube.com slash the Athletic Hockey Show. Um, looking forward, we've got 2023 draft prospect Will Smith um, is going to join Sean Gentili and Max Boltman as their guests this week on the Athletic Hockey Show USA. And Wild GM Bill Guerin joined these two, Russo and Smith, on Straight from the Source for a postmortem on the Wild. Uh, the Athletic Hockey Show continues Thursday with Sean McIndoe and Shana Goldman. Thanks to Craig Button. Our guest next week is Doug McLean. For Mike and Joe, I'm Jesse. Roundtable returns next Wednesday. See you then.